So one of the things that we are looking at as a church is heroes of the faith. And um, Thomas was asking me if I had a childhood hero, and I don't really have a childhood hero, um, but I do have a present-day hero. So I would say that my present-day hero is a lady called Heidi Baker. I don't know if anyone's come across her. Anyone come across Heidi Baker? So Heidi Baker is a lady who works in Mozambique with her husband, Roland. And the thing that I really love about her is her radical life for Jesus. And it's her faith, but it's also her faithfulness. And um, she's a woman who is leading, um, being powerfully used by God. And for years, she was just really pouring out her life for people, sort of without anyone knowing about her, you know, her with with her husband as well. Um, They were serving the poor in London, um, they worked in Hong Kong, and then eventually they moved to Mozambique. And then some amazing stuff started to happen. Um, So in the middle of some really terrible poverty and suffering and real difficult circumstances that we would really actually find in the West quite hard to grasp, God started to do some amazing things. And so there were lots of people who were blind that started to see uh, there were people that were dead that were raised. Um, there was food that was multiplied. And uh, the people who, the church that grew, and actually now 10,000 churches that have been planted in Mozambique as a result of their work, um, have stood, have worshipped God, and have cried out to God despite difficulties that are pretty unimaginable. And so I like her because, for me, her life provokes me to pursue more of God. And you know, when you see people running like that, you think, yeah, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? There's more. There's more for us. So I wanted to look a bit this morning at Jacob, just to look at his life and how he pursued God. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to try and whiz through different parts of his life. Um, so the story of Jacob, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's found in the first book of the Bible, which is the book of Genesis. And the story goes from Genesis tra- chapter 25 to chapter 50. Um, because we're not going to be able to look at it all, you can always go home if you, if you want to and just have a read through to get a bigger picture. But we're just going to pick out a few bits. So Genesis 25, 21 to 28, this is the beginning. Okay? Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her and she said... It's all, well, it's all well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of God, and God said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be, strong, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first one came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over, and they called him Esau. And after his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old and he bore them. And the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's quite an interesting little beginning, isn't it, to, to Jacob's life. Um, and we see that, Jake, that Rebecca, Jacob's mom, she can't have children. So her husband, Isaac, he pursues God for something. He pursues God that she would be able to have a baby. And she conceives twins and they're struggling. And she starts to ask God, you know, what, what's, what's this all about? What's happening? And he speaks this word about the two nations in her womb and about the older serving the younger, which is obviously 
or the wrong way around for their culture. Um, and the twins are born, and they're very different, both in looks and personality. So it says that Isaac loved Esau, and Rebecca loved Jacob. Um, and one of the things I want to do about looking at this stuff we're looking at this morning to do with Jacob is to draw out where God is moving, but also some of the difficulties. So as I went through this passage, I started to put in red some of the things that were coming up, which maybe we would identify with as well. So I'll, I'll come back to those later. So a bit further on, in verse 29, uh, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with some of that red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this, this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what's the birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me on this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew, and he ate and drank and arose and went his way. And it says, Thus Esau despised his birthright. So what, what we have here is that the birthright really was to do with position and inheritance in the family, so it was to do with what you were going to get, but also to, to do with who you were. Um, and in this story, it would have been naturally to, given to Esau, but he sells it for a meal to Jacob. And then a bit further on, so we're just doing a whistle-stop tour, Genesis 27, Isaac's getting older and he can't see very well, and he wants to give his blessing to Esau, and so he says, Esau, you go off, hunt some game, cook me a stew, and I'm, then I'm going to bless you. But Rebecca sees what's going to happen, and she sets up a kind of ambush, a blessing ambush for Jacob. And that involves him having to go off and get some goat hair and stick this goat hair on his neck and his hands. And then he goes into his father, and he says, he pretends to be um, Esau, and he gets the blessing instead. And in verse... 38, it says that when Esau realised what happens, he lifts up his voice and he weeps and he pleads with his father to bless him also. And it says that from that point on, Esau hated Jacob and he wanted to kill him. And Jacob had to flee from Rebekah and his family and he went to Laban. And part of that was about finding a wife and getting married. Um, basically, he had, to leave, he had to leave the family because of the way that Esau was feeling about him. And one of the first things that I wanted to draw out was that the plans, the fact that God has plans for us. And there's something in Jacob that rises to God's plan. And that's demonstrated in the fact that he's obedient, he's obedient and he's willing to run with that. Um, and I came across this little quote. I don't know if it's going to come up. Maybe it's not. Um, it says, you will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. And I thought when I was writing this, I thought I could just kind of sit down after that and just let people think about that. We will never possess what we're unwilling to pursue. So at this point, I was wondering if we were wondering really why I might have picked this guy as a hero because in the story, he sort of seems to be cheating on his brother. He seems to have deceived his father. And when you look at what people are sort of commentating or saying around this, there's quite a lot of questions around that. So people are sort of asking, how comes God honoured this guy when he seems to have done stuff wrong? You know, how comes he got the blessing that way? There's a lot of people asking those sort of questions. Um, and a lot of people have a fair bit of sympathy for Esau. But I think when you look a bit deeper, you see that Jacob actually is quite humble and vulnerable in the way that 
he does things. So his mum encourages him to go into to see um, Isaac, and he follows her instructions. And he actually has to do something that maybe would be a bit ridiculous in terms of putting the goat hair on, you know, put dressing up in Esau's clothes. Um, I mean, there's a real risk that his father will find out that it's not the right brother and that he'll be cursed rather than blessed. But he decides that he's going to go with that. And my feeling about it is that God has this plan for Jacob and Jacob pursues it. And, um, you know, there's something in him that sees that God's in it. There's something in him that sort of rises to it and thinks, yes, God's in this. You know, God wants this for my life. Um, And some of the things that I just highlighted in red, you know, like right the way as I I went through the story that we can maybe relate to, um, there was favoritism in the family. There was a split between mum and dad. There was deception. (laughs) There was disappointment. There was frustration and anger. I mean, Esau was really cross when he realized what had happened. Um, There was a bit of manipulation in there as well. Um, And sometimes, you know, Uh, We live, don't we, in situations where things aren't perfect and where sometimes situations are messy. But, you know, God always has a plan, even through the mess and the difficulty. And the second thing that I wanted to draw out, there's three Ps. So there's God's plan, there's perspective. Um, And this second P is about if we want to pursue God, we need to see God's bigger perspective. Had a picture, which isn't there. It didn't work. So my picture was of an iceberg. And the whole idea was that, um, you know, with the iceberg, you only see the tip of the iceberg, but there's actually so much more underneath. And one of the key things about this story is that Jacob does actually see things differently to Esau. So he gets the value and significance of things that are God-given. And he's willing to pay the price for more of God. And I think that um, God sees his heart and that he sees that the outward actions, however flawed they might be, actually are motivated by an inward posture towards God. Um, And Thomas lent me this book. I don't know if I'll be plugged for this book because I've been like through this book, which is really good. It's it's about uh, different people throughout history. And actually he looks at the likes of Heidi Baker as well. So people that are still alive and how they encountered God and and how they have um, had an impact on the world. And one of the things that Bill Johnson says, is that God is looking for people who see the oak tree in the acorn or the mighty outpouring in the cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, if anyone is given the acorn and doesn't treat it with respect and honour, doesn't treat it with the respect and honour it deserves, you will never see it grow into an oak tree. So that's about God's perspective, isn't it? We get something small, but actually God potentially wants to grow it into something so much bigger. So let's just pick up the story again, because we're doing this whistle-stop tour. So in in Genesis chapter 28, God meets with Jacob in this amazing dream. So he starts to open up to him, you know, this whole thing about angels coming and going and an open heaven. And Jacob begins to realize this this is God. This is what God wants. This is what the house of God looks like. Um, Chapter 29, he goes to meet Laban, and then he actually falls in love with Laban's daughter. Uh, But Laban says, you've got to work seven years to get my daughter. So he works seven years for Laban, and he he gets to marry her, but Laban tricks him, tricks him on the wedding night, and he gives him a different daughter instead. 
Um, so he gives, he gives him Leah. So he actually has to work another seven years to, to get to marry Rachel. So he gets to marry Rachel, but he has to work another seven years for Laban. Um, and I, I just thought about how disillusioned he must have felt in that moment because Laban was family, basically. He's somebody that he had worked hard for. He's somebody that he'd fled to. Uh, Laban recognizes that God had blessed him because Jacob was there. And now in the middle of this, suddenly he has been kind of tricked, really, by Laban. And then as we go on in Jacob's life, there's a lot more complicated family stuff that happens. So there's a lot of giving of maidservants so that, uh, you know, family and children can be born. And, you know, that was sort of their attempt to try and see God's will fulfilled, but maybe not the best way. Um, So there is an increase in Jacob's family, but there's also pain, jealousy, and bitterness. So, you know, these things are things that we can associate with, can't we, you know, in in our life sometimes. And as we go on... uh, Jacob's wealth increases, his flocks increase, and eventually he's so wealthy from uh, Laban's flocks that he actually has to flee. So he flees from Laban, um, and eventually he meets up with Esau. So that's how the story comes round again. And just about just before he's supposed to be meeting up with Esau, um, he has this sort of encounter with God. So I just wanted to read a bit of that. Let me just find it. Well, that is 32. Um, so it says, And he arose that night and took his two wives and two female servants and eleven sons and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent them, sent them ahead. It said, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it you've asked my name? And he blessed him there, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life has preserved and just as he crossed over Penuel the sun rose up on him and he limped on his hip so Jacob wrestled with God and he basically says I'm not going to let you go until you bless me and um, and then a bit further on Jacob 34 we see how Jacob is reunited with Esau and actually there's a beautiful verse there where it says they embraced each other they hugged each other um, and I wondered whether in our context we struggle with the idea of Jacob asking God for something for himself or sort of wrestling with God for his own blessing. And I think part of that is maybe because we think of things in terms of things being ours, you know, it's our car, it's my income, it's my house. But actually when we look at God's perspective, everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, everything will eventually go back to God. So when we're looking at God blessing us, we're actually looking at God blessing us so that we can be a blessing, so that we can give away what God has blessed us with. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus said was freely you've received, so freely give. But the key to that is you have to have received to be able to give. Um, So, you know, the whole thing about Jacob 
struggling with God for this blessing. It's not just for himself. It's so that he can be a blessing. And, you know, the will of God for us is that we should be a blessing. That, that promise that was given to Abraham that went through to Jacob and comes through to us is that the whole world will be blessed, actually, through us. Um, all the nations of the earth should be blessed. And, and that didn't stop at Jesus. It, it's still with us, aren't we, because we belong to Jesus. And the third P that I wanted to look at was purposes. Um, so God's purpose is always that relationship is restored, that selfishness is defeated, that blessing is shared, that generosity reigns, that forgiveness triumphs, bitterness and death. And one of the things, the amazing things that happens in this story, and I'm just trying to kind of whiz through it for you, is that before Jacob meets Esau, he sends ahead this massive entourage of goats, camels, cows, donkeys. And so I looked up what that would sort of be equivalent to these days. And actually, it's about, they reckon about 500,000 pounds worth of goods that he sent ahead. So one of the things that actually happens in this passage is although Jacob has inherited the blessing and the birthright, what he's doing at this point in his life is he's now sending it forward to Esau. And isn't that an amazing passage or amazing sort of example of this whole thing about the fact that God actually blesses us to be a blessing? So God met with Esau. He gave him the birthright. Here's Esau sending on 500,000 pounds worth of gift. Um, Jacob sending that on to Esau. And, I mean, one of the other things I just felt about this that God wanted to speak to us about is that, you know, um, there's a lot of weakness and difficulty in this passage you know the things that I've tried to draw out there's there's pain there's disappointment there's there's lots of stuff that isn't great and you know if we are in any context whether it's a family a church work just life particularly at the moment if you're in a supermarket <laughs> you know there's a lot of stuff that isn't great you know there's a lot of stuff that maybe comes out of weakness it comes out of selfishness it comes out of sin and you know when we when we live and are with other people, we are actually going to come across sometimes times when people disappoint us, when there are frustrations, when there are differences of opinion. And it's actually not wrong to acknowledge those things and to admit that uh, there are difficulties. But in the New Testament, in Ephesians 4, it says, in your anger, do not sin. And that's basically saying you can acknowledge the difficulty, you can acknowledge the emotion. Emotions are actually real. We're not supposed to cover them up. But you know, we're, not we're not supposed to allow those things to lead us down a path that is really unhelpful. So the path that those emotions can sometimes lead us down is, 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 a, is a dark one. It's, an, it's a nasty one. And, and you know, we're not supposed to go down there. We're not supposed to allow those things to lead us or to rule us. And um, I was thinking about sort of things that I could share, and I was struggling a little bit to find stories, but... One of the things that I am pursuing God for is just for more breakthrough and healing and the miraculous, because I see it there. It's all there in the Bible, but we haven't seen a lot of it in our experience. And um, so um, I have a friend of mine who, um, in Edinburgh who's been ill for quite a long time with anorexia, and about a year ago, Tyron, actually, my husband, highlighted to me that it had been in the papers, the fact she was trying to get into a hospital because she was so underweight, she was basically going to die. And um, so I got back in touch with her and I started to sort of speak to her and, and go and visit her. And she was originally in, um, 
the private hospital, the Priory in Glasgow, um, and then she's moved to Redu in, in uh, Livingston. So I just used to go and visit her and maybe take a wee present and just talk, and then I'd offer to pray or maybe take a poem or something that I felt God wanted to, to give her, and just little things like that. And there was actually some, some change, but it wasn't really that significant. But there was definitely some change. And then um, she came out of hospital and I hadn't heard much from her. And then about just before Christmas time, um, I noticed again that she was back in hospital. And, you know, have you ever come across a situation that seems really hopeless, <laughs> really dark, and you just think, oh, God, you know, ah, she's back in hospital, you know. But I felt God really provoke me and say, do you know what? Do you remember? Think about the fact that when you prayed for her last time, actually, there was you felt that you had an impact on that. There was something significant happened. I thought, well, yeah, okay. But um, so I just felt God encouraging me again just to hope for her. And um, so Christmas Eve, um, I felt God say, go down to Edinburgh and visit her in hospital. And Christmas Eve isn't obviously the best time to drive down because I was thinking, oh, I have to fill up with petrol and make sure I can get, actually get back up because no one's going to want me to stay with them Christmas Eve. Uh, but I went down and asked a few people to sort of pray and um, I did all the things that I just normally done, did with her. But actually, it was kind of a real breakthrough moment because I said, shall I pray for you? And we've done that before. And she said, oh, yes, yes. She was really keen for that. And so I prayed for her. And then just at the end, I thought, actually, I'm going to ask her. I said, Wendy, would you like me, would you like to know Jesus for yourself? And she just said, yes, I would. So I just prayed for her and, you know, asked Jesus to come into her life. And she prayed after me. And then I just prayed for all the things that she had in her life, which I knew about, like sin, shame, hopelessness, fear, disappointment, all those dark things. And I just prayed that God would release her from those things and that he would fill her with all the things that he brings. So when Jesus comes, he brings hope, he brings peace, he brings salvation, you know, all the things that we know. And so I prayed all those things into her that God would take away all the difficult things and the dark things and that he would come and he would bring all those good things. And the amazing thing was she was due to be discharged in January, but they were basically saying they wouldn't let her back into hospital. She'd had a go. But ever since she's been discharged, she's just made progress, amazing progress, unlike she'd done the year before. So she has just gone from strength to strength. She's eating loads of stuff. She's visiting people. She's putting on weight. She looks totally different. And one of the first posts that she did, she's got a private Facebook page, was to say she couldn't quite believe what had happened herself. <laughs> so she was kind of saying, I can't, kind of don't really understand what's happened. And the reason that I thought I'd share that story is because... You know, in, in the weakness, in the mess, you know, God calls us actually to have his perspective. He calls us to believe that we are called, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose, that actually, you know, even in the times that we're living in, you know, we are hope to the hopeless. We have the, the greatest hope. We, we have eternal hope and eternal life. We know where we're going. It's all sorted. And so, you know, God calls us in these sort of times, you know, to rise up and to actually, you know, raise our faith for people. And you know, that, that story with my friend, it wasn't a simple thing. It wasn't like I just visited her once and it was all that, that and, you know, click, it was done. It wasn't like that at all. It was very much a process. Um, you know, and one of the things that I found, one of the verses that I found in Hebrews, which links a little bit to this, 
this um, story about Esau and, and Jacob, which I thought was significant. Is that, you know the bit where it says that he'd, he'd met with God and he's wrestled with God, but his hip is dislocated and he's limping on his hip. And I, I don't t- totally understand that. I not, d- don't claim to understand it all. But one of the things that you can see is this breakthrough, but there's also pain. And that does seem sometimes to be the case, that sometimes when we get breakthrough, there's also things that are quite difficult. And the verse in Hebrews 12, which is actually talking a little bit about Esau as well, it says, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. And, you know, in the um, phase that we're living in, you know, post-Jesus' death, this is what the purpose is, isn't it, for us, for the church, that actually we are to bring healing, that we're to strengthen our arms and our knees, we're to make straight paths so that people actually can be healed. And I just, I just got it, this is in the message, just because I think the message sometimes brings things alive to us. So I'll, I'll read it in the message. Um, so don't just sit around on your hands, no more dragging your feet, Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Work at getting along with each other and with God, otherwise you'll never get to see as much as a glimpse of God. Make sure that no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You know well how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. So that, that kind of helps us a bit, doesn't it, to, to have a kind of modern take on that. And so... I felt these were the things that God wanted to speak to us about. Where is your blessing going? Where is your blessing flowing? If you ask someone else to ask you that, would they be able to tell you? So if you asked your husband or your neighbor, you know, your friend, so who is it that you are blessing this week, this year? What does that look like and what did it cost you? Because there is always a cost. And what are you wrestling with God for and what are you pursuing God for? And where are you in pain? And so I felt that those are the things that God wants us to think about. Um, you know, those are the things that I felt God wanted to draw out. You know, that sometimes things are not all clean cut. Sometimes things are very messy. And, you know, there is sin in the mix. But actually God wants to do amazing things, even in our weakness. He wants to do amazing things. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Why don't we stand, everyone?